our scripture psalm for this month, the month of May, are uh, three verses in Psalm 51. You could find those on those orange cards that are at the greeter's table as you come in and carry them with you. It includes a good portion of the psalm, but our focus is just on three verses, verses 10 through 12. So at this time, I invite you to join with me by standing either in spirit or in body before God as we say these words from the book that we love. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. It's also a time for our Discovery kids to be dismissed for their time of worship downstairs. And as they go out, we read our scripture passage for the morning which is found in 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. You have heard the saying, Give a person a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a person how to fish, and they eat for a lifetime. Our missionary partner, Kurt Verbeek, has added another line to that, to the end. Uh, teach a person how to fish, and they'll eat for a lifetime. He added, 
but keep a fisherman away from water, and you'll never eat. One has to have access available to them. In a way, it's a bit like when we say, everyone is welcome. But if the place isn't ready, if it has walls up that keep some people away, if its logistics haven't been thought through on the facility, if doors are too narrow for some people, or if signage is non-existent, if language is exclusive, everyone has not been prepared for. Just like when we invite someone over to a family meal, we invite their family. When you go there and you see that there are spots and places that have been prepared for you, it just lets you know that you are a welcomed special guest at their place. Because you've been to other places where you've been invited to the meal, but there's been no seat at the table for you. When something's been prepared, you know that you are a welcomed guest. Maybe we should say, our space has been thoughtfully made ready for you. God has set a place at his table for us, for each of us. We remember that we only have access to the table of God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, has given us a righteous standing before the Father. So we're going to reflect for a little while on what it means to make a sincere invitation so that all are welcomed and prepared for. And our place has been thoughtfully made ready, especially for people who would have a disability. Before we get to the heart of some of the things I want to share, I just want to remind us of some great biblical truths that impact how we make a place ready, how we make our attitudes ready. It begins with reminding ourselves once again that all of humanity, each and every person, has been made in the image of God. Each person carries the likeness of God with them. No person is a mistake. Each person is unique. And each person is equal in the eyes of God. For we read in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So it gives us pause to stop and to ask ourselves also in regards to the image of God in us. When we look at ourselves in a mirror, what do we see? Do we see ourselves as God sees us? With love, grace, dignity? Or do we see ourselves like looking at one of those circus mirrors? where the torso might be too big, where the head might be too wide, we look misformed. Even on a very bad day, God looks at us with such love and care and dignity 
and honor. And we want everyone to know that truth, that they value, that they are worthy, that they matter. Not because their dress code is above average, it's not based on looks, not according to any arbitrary or cultural standard, but because God in his word has said, everyone has worth. And we want people to feel that truth. An important way for us to express this is in our actions to people, especially with people who would have a disability. We need to make sure that our attitudes are aligned with God's word and our facility has been made ready for them. We acknowledge that every person is made in the image of God. And we acknowledge that every person has a contribution to make to the church. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has given to you a spiritual gift. When we receive Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his dwelling within us. And this lump of clay is transformed into the temple of God. It's an amazing thing. And God says that in that process that the Spirit gives to us at least one spiritual gift, a certain area of service or ministry that extends beyond the normal ability of the average person. We are not cookie cutters. We are created differently by a creative God. And everyone has something to contribute. And for those who might be a part of our faith community, but they are not followers of Jesus, we hold that everyone has something to contribute. We likely would not call it a spiritual gift, but each person has something to give. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it says in verse 7 that it is the Holy Spirit who's decided what spiritual gifts to give to each person. Now, there are things called the fruit of the Spirit that we all are to demonstrate. Love, joy, peace, patience. But there is one area that God has given to each follower that is a special ability that we can serve others with. There are no more important gifts and no less important gifts, just gifts. The people who are up front are no more important as an individual or not any more important as gifts than someone who remains behind the scenes. God views us equal in his body and equally loved. A friend of mine, whose name is Mark Stevenson, uh, was former director of our denomination's Disability Concern Department. And he's been here, you might remember him, a couple of times to give his talk. He says whenever he does talk about disability and disability concerns, he points out that we need to be very, very cautious in making assumptions about what gifts are more important and what gifts are less important, which parts of the body are more important and which parts of the body are less important. In fact, the parts that we tend to seem to be weaker 
less visible, he says, are often the hidden strengths of God's gifts that he gives to the church. Those parts that seem weaker and less visible are often the hidden strengths God gives to the church. Each person is made in the image of God, and each person has something to contribute. But as God has called us into his family, we recognize that we are more than just individuals, that he has called us to be a people together. We don't follow Jesus out of our own selfish ambition. We follow him because he has moved in our heart by the Holy Spirit and brought about a spirit of repentance and faith. And we were able to make a decision and to follow him because of the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. And when he does that, and when we come alongside that work, something magnificent takes place. We read about that in Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is through faith in Jesus and the work that he has done on the cross and the empty tomb that has made us alive. He said, because of our sin outside of grace, we are like spiritual dead people. And he needs to bring spiritual electric paddles to bring life back to this dead person. And that's what he has done. We needed outside help. And Jesus did that. We were spiritually dead, and he made us spiritually alive. And in doing that, Jesus not only drew us to himself, he drew us to his family, the community, the church. We read this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is made a part of it. The many are made one united and he brought us into his family and in doing so an amazing thing happens in that we become co-laborers together workers together we read as god's co-workers we urge you not to receive god's grace in vain he asks us to see each other as co-laborers working together now people might think they have nothing to contribute but we know that's not true. And he calls us as we view them and treat them as co-laborers to remind them they have something to contribute as well. And that is especially important for those who would have a disability. I came across uh, a writing by a fellow by the name of Dale Vanderplatz, who works at uh, Elam Christian Services out in Chicago. And he has identified five stages that happen when people take the courageous step of working together with people, and especially people with disabilities. He's mapped out five steps that people typically take, and he has put with those five steps five motions. So you might feel free to do the motions with me, or maybe not. 
He says when you meet someone who would have a disability, it starts with ignorance. You hold them away. And then moves on to pity, where you feel sorry for them. But if we continue to be open to God's Spirit, it moves us to care, where we offer to meet their needs. But that's not the end of it, is it? We talk about making sure that people are not simply cared for, but they're part of the ministering body. It moves to friendship, where you're on equal standing together. And then it moves into ministry together. Co-laborers working together. There is the ignorance. There is the pity. There is the care. There is the friendship, and there are the co-laborers of working together. He says that as we enter into relationships with people, all people, his area of expertise is with people with disabilities, we need to be conscious of the stages and the steps that we need to take, especially not staying here and not staying here. There is more God has in store. Another way that people have looked at how the church has been united by what God has done in our midst is by looking at the church as a puzzle. All pieces of the puzzle come together to make a picture. And when one piece is lost, when it's missing, the eye is drawn towards the piece that is missing. And only Jesus, who created the church, has gifted the church to work together to make it a united one. I like to take it another step, not simply by saying that the church is like different puzzle pieces coming together but looking at the pieces themselves. Let's say each puzzle piece has a shade of green and shades of pink. Green represents my gifting, my strengths, things that I can do to help and to serve others. How God designed me. Pink has to do where I need help, areas where I need to grow, places where I hurt, places where I need someone with some green to come and help me. Each person is made up of shades of green and shades of pink. No person is all green, no person is all pink. The Holy Spirit has given a gift to believers that we are a family together, a gift to encourage and to build each other up. Those who major in the area of serving and caring and integrating people with disabilities, like maybe you met Victoria last Sunday when she was here. Say, often when we would look at someone who would have a disability, we see them inaccurately because we see them as all P. 
pink. No. They have been knit together by God. They have a special spot in the church of Jesus, in the kingdom of God. And God has given to each person gifts, talents, and abilities. God did not make any person all pink. And God has not made any person all green. Now, if someone was all green, what would that imply? They don't need anyone. They don't need anyone to come alongside them, care for them, minister to them, encourage them. Everyone's presence in the community, in the family, is no mistake. You've each been beautifully designed, placed where our Creator has put us, with needs and with strengths. So just imagine if there is a piece in the puzzle called Discovery Church, where there is a piece missing. And it's missing because that piece has been sent away because of either attitudes or because of how we do things here. Uh, they were just sent away. Everyone loses. Everyone loses. That piece loses because they miss out on the fellowship and the courage and the strength of the body and the church misses out on the contribution that that person has to give. Everyone loses when someone comes and they have not been made ready and the place has not been ready. Here's an example. I'll be giving more examples in a little bit. If there was a family in the church who had a child born with a disability, we would not make an announcement. We regret to say that Maggie and Mark just gave birth to. How unkind that would be. Our perspective is that each child is a precious gift. Each child carries the image of God. And the church now has a chance to grow in a special way to learn from this child's presence with us. You see, the world tends to focus on the pink when there is a disability. Church doesn't ignore the pink, but we also know that every person also has shades of green in their piece as well. Places where I'm strong, places where I can bless, places where I can care for others. Now, we admit that entering into any new relationship, which includes maybe a person with a disability, can be a scary thing, a fearful thing. New things are scary, at least to some of us. Others of us, we thrive on it. Uh, but entering into uh, certain relationships can be fearful things. Well, how do we conquer such fear? Well, I think uh, I came across along this line a study that the uh, army made about paratroopers who jump out of airplanes. And they monitored the body's reaction to the whole process of being a paratrooper. And they found out that there is definitely one time 
when the paratrooper is most fearful. They could tell it by the things that are going on in the body. When the plane takes off, when they're falling, I would say when the parachute doesn't open, but they actually found that in normal situations, it is when they actually take the steps towards the door. When they take the steps towards the door is when they are most fearful. And when they're most exhilarated, of course, is when they are flying through the air and the parachute deploys and the fear is gone and they could tell that in the things that are going on in the body that it is jubilation and excitement that is happening. So we might be fearful about thinking about using our gifts, about being involved in using that with someone. Fearful in thinking of uh, how are we going to do this. And part of that is our humanness. But we are not to stay in such fear. Change is hard. We are not often used to change. But we get used to it. We get used to it. And we ask God to turn us into that free-falling experience rather than the walking to the door. One more thing I'd like to share this morning in my talk, and that is in the area of engagement. How, how, what are some of the things that we can be doing to be more engaging of welcoming and being hospitable and preparing a place and preparing our attitudes? From Philippians 2, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We strive to be a place where we want every person to be participating in the life of the church, and we want the church to be involved in the life of every person who comes. And that's why we keep praying for the Holy Spirit to move us beyond a welcome to true hospitality, to engagement, and move from this, this, finally to here, and working together. We want to view people as co-laborers, but how can we do that if we haven't set the place up well to receive them and to minister together? Here are some uh, guides that I've come across. Many of them you know and are aware of. So I just thought they could be some uh, helpful things for us to be reminded of. When we enter into a relationship or we start to meet a person, uh, especially a person who has a disability, we need to remember to talk to that person and not to talk just to their support person or to their companion, but to talk to them, to give them unhurried attention. You think you are good at multitasking. Let me tell you, we're not as good as we think we are. We can't be focusing in on what's going all around and seeing who's doing what and still trying to give some attention to the person in front of us. We need to remember to speak 
calmly and slowly and directly to someone who is a little bit of hard of hearing or someone who might not know the English language so well. Just speak a little more clearly and softly. And when we talk with a person in a wheelchair for more than a few moments or someone who is uh, smaller than us, if it gives us a good opportunity to get down to their level, that can always be a good thing to do without drawing attention to yourself. We remind ourselves to stay away from words such as crippled or handicapped or wheelchair bound. This is a person made in the image of God with something to contribute. They just happen to have a disability. We need to remember to avoid excessive praise, but to praise and to encourage a person like we would anyone else. It can be condescending to heap unwanted praise on someone. Greet a person with a disability as you would greet anyone with a bump, handshake, whatever that is. And when you see someone who might be more visually impaired, when you come up to them and you're not sure that they recognize you, just say your name and where you are. Feel free to offer yourself to help them around. And if they decide not to have your help, then that is all fine too. That's their call. They have a helper dog, and the dog is working. Don't pet the dog. Let the dog do its job. If you really want to pet the dog, then you ask the person. You just don't do that on your own. And if they happen to be in a wheelchair, you don't lean on it. That's their personal space. And we honor that. These are some of the things that we need to change within ourselves. Repairing our attitudes, being more hospitable, being more open and friendly with all who come. So we want to work on these things. We want to work on what might be barriers or walls that are keeping people away. And we pray that God would be glorified as his church expresses his truth that all belong and a place has been prepared for you to come. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you have created a place at your table for us. In our own human selfishness and sinful tendency, we would not want to follow you. But because of the work of your Spirit in us, you have stirred up faith. And in that faith, we thank you that you have reached to us to prepare a table and that you call us to set a table also for others. Help us, Lord, to learn how to extend your invitation to offer your hospitality others. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a place where we can meet, a place where we can gather, a place where we can call home, 
And we pray, Father God, that you will help us to keep on exploring new ways to help make this place home for others. And the invitations we extend in the way that uh, we present ourselves and the invitations that we send out. We long for this building of yours to be home for more people. Father, we thank you that it is our home, that you've called us to be part of your family. And we pray, Father God, that uh, you administer to the needs of our family. We lift up Hugh's parents, that you would give them your grace and your comfort, and especially be with Hugh's dad to give him relief from any pain he's experiencing. We pray that you be with Jen's dad and his recovery from his procedure and his surgery. We pray that you would give him patience, but also a great measure of your presence and your care. We pray for little Calvin Quinlan. We thank you for the report that uh, his hearing tests went well. And we ask, Father God, that you would still be at work in his heart to close that hole and to help his heart to grow, to be strong. We pray for uh, Annalise, who is close to delivering if she hasn't already. And we pray, Lord, for your uh, grace and comfort to be upon her. And we pray that when that time comes, that you will bring safety to that little boy, to Annalise, and that you would bring a, a healthy delivery for all. We pray, Lord, for Pam. We pray, Father God, that you would uh, give to her ease and relief from the pain and that you would provide for the needs that she has in whatever way is best to meet those needs. We thank you, Lord, that you have met our needs by giving to us moms and people who serve as moms. Thank you for moms and grandmas and aunts and for men mentors and people who care for us and have shown us God's love unconditionally. We pray that you would give to them uh, special measures of your grace and goodness today. We think of our extended uh, faith community. We pray for a local Christian school in the planning that they're doing, but also in important staffing changes that are taking place. We pray that you will lead and guide them in, uh, in the direction that you have set before them. We pray for our neighbors on Willard Avenue. We pray, Father God, that you will give to them a special blessing this week and that they would know that that is from you and that would stir something up inside of them of wanting to seek you out. We thank you for our missionary partners. We thank you for uh, uh, Kevin and his work with Cultivate Renewal that seeks to help pastors and church leaders to find refreshment and restoration. We pray your blessing and your care would be upon them. We pray for the needs that we have, the needs that we have as families, the places where we hurt, places where we're struggling, places where we're weak. You know what those are. We know what some of them are. Different people know what they are with others. But most of all, you know we lift them up to you 
whether that be a need of ourselves or a need of our family or a need for someone else. We quietly lift them up to you. We pray that you will give to that person, that family, a great measure of your spirit and awareness of your presence and your care. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness for us. And we ask, Father God, that you will be at work in your church, work in us to help us to be even more hospitable than what we think we are and what we think we can be. So we lean upon you, Holy Spirit, for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed and said, Amen.